Saturday. CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Good evening, everybody. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Options Action. I'm Tyler Matheson, in tonight for Melissa Lee, and here is what's on tap. One by one, two by two, three by three. Investors have bailed from Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund. If you're staring into the abyss and think you might want to jump too, we'll help you do it safely with an options life raft. Then, the energy sector is at new highs. But Tony Zhang is a way to win, even if that trend runs out of steam. Plus, it doesn't matter if retail sales are horrible. People still need underwear. Tonight, a name we've never covered before. That's because it's a secret. It's time to risk less to make more. Options Action starts right now. All right, folks, let's get right to it. We all know the tech sector is taking a bit of a beating lately. The poster child on the way up was Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF. It's also turning out to be a poster child on the way down. So, Carter Worth, so much damage done, but is still more, sir, to come? I think there is. I mean, down 50 percent. And the key is obviously the marquee name in this fund was Tesla, and their paths have diverged. Let's look at a handful of charts, and they're all the same time frame. Uh, these are weekly bar charts going back three years. So the first that you'll see on the screen has no judgments or annotations. It just is the ARKK chart. Um, the second chart, and you'll see this uh, quite clearly, is a breaking down from the wedge or channel uh, that persisted. And this then, you're starting to collapse essentially four months ago. So what do we know? The peak was 160, and it's almost one year ago. That's the problem. February 16th, 2020. Here we are, Jan 21. Here we are, January 22. So it's not as though this is new. This has been topping and failing for the better part of a year. And there is no real support until you get to the 60 level. The 60 level is the pre-COVID high. So just put this in context. Tesla drops, four, uh, excuse me, ARC drops 45% from its pre-COVID peak. 45% to its COVID low. But now, having uh, almost uh, tripled from that level is down 50%. We think 60 is the level that you're going to see. All right, Mike, what is the trade here? Uh, Carter has laid out the, the performance of the stock very ably. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. Of course, he pointed out that Tesla is the largest holding in ARC, but actually there's a lot of ETFs that have relatively concentrated holdings in stocks like Tesla or some of the big tech names, actually the Qs and XLK, for example, their largest concentrations are even bigger than ARC's is to Tesla. But I think really the big problem that you have here is that Kathy Wood's strategy of sort of buying the highest a growing highest multiple most exciting technology companies is a risky strategy in a market environment when you begin to see a focus on sort of real earnings and things like that and i believe that 
that's essentially the market that we find ourselves in. And when you have such high valuation businesses as a part of your portfolio, you would think maybe after a decline of almost 50 percent that some of these things are cheap, but they really aren't. Um, you know, what we've seen is very aggressive valuations propelled by kind of the market conditions that basically push, push people into higher risk. Now, the thing is, shorting something like ARC carries unlimited risk as shorting any stock does. And so we certainly wouldn't recommend that. Uh, buying puts is a way, of course, to get some downside exposure. But the options on ARC are extremely expensive. The implied volatility going out about three months is approximately 50 percent. That's roughly double what the current implied volatility of a similar tenor in the QQQ is. So I think what you want to do if you are interested in buying options is looking for some to sell against it. I was looking at a put diagonal, specifically buying the May 78 puts. Now, when I was looking at those, those cost a little over $8, or more than 10% of the strike or the current value of the ARKK ETF, demonstrating how expensive those are. And then selling much nearer dated February 18th, 64 spot two two strike puts against it, collecting about a dollar and a quarter. Now, the idea here is that you're going to allow the faster decay of those nearer dated options to help you finance the decay that buying such expensive options has without taking negative risk, uh, unlimited risk, excuse me, to the upside. So, Tony, your reaction here is, is this is this arc worth touching in any sense? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think if you look at the chart, as Carter's charts show you, this is pointing in one direction, and that's the downside. Especially if you look at ARK, it broke below that $100 key level here in November. It tested again back in uh, late December and was rejected at that um, level. And I echo Carter's targets here to the downside, about $60. That's mm. what I'm expecting ARK to mm -hmm. be trading at over the next few months. And especially if you think about the 10-year yield, it bounced higher above that 170 basis point level here earlier this week. I think we're headed up to two, and I think this is going to continue to put downside pressure on these higher beta names in the ARK fund. And when you look at Mike's trade here, you know, options are really expensive. So there's two reasons I really like Mike's trade. He mentioned that by going out to May, even though those are about trading about 50% implied volatility, uh, the February calls of puts that he's selling against that are trading at about 58% implied volatility. So he is buying low, yeah. selling high, and that's going to help offset some of that expensiveness of those options. Yet it still costs 10% of the ETF. But the other thing is that he's only spending about seven and a half bucks for a $14 wide diagonal spread. So even if you do see this stock, uh, this ETF blow um, significantly lower to the downside, he doesn't see any losses as you typically sometimes may do with the diagonal. I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, Carter, your company's called Worth Charting. Maybe we put this one in, in the basket called Not Worth Charting. I don't know, but whatever. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, guys. Tony, let's, uh, let's talk a, take a little uh, vector away from tech for a minute and talk energy on a tear. Uh, many companies there hitting new 52-week highs. You are looking at one in particular in case there's a power outage, so to speak. What is it and, and why? Yeah, I want to take a look at Kinder Morgan because I myself have been quite bullish on energy going into 2022, but I do think Kinder Morgan stands out as one of the weaker names going into earnings next week. If we take a look at the chart of Kinder Morgan, what you see is a stock that has no, roughly doubled from October of last year to about the middle of this year. But since then, it's been trading lower. What we see is a series of higher lows and high, lower lows and lower highs. And what's important specifically about earnings here is that as Kinder Morgan is trading lower, what we see here is that the sector itself, XLE, continues to trade higher. 
higher highs and higher lows. And this is very apparent when we look at a relative chart of Kinder Morgan to its sector, the XLE sector. What we see is that Kinder Morgan is making a new three-year relative low to its sector. And this is the signal that leads me to believe that Kinder Morgan may disappoint on earnings next week. So if we take a look at the options market here right now, the markets are implying about a 3.1% move going into earnings, which is roughly in line with what we've seen over the last eight quarters of exactly 3.1%. So the trade structure that I want to use is an in the money put spread here. I'm going out to March and I'm buying the 18 by 16 put spread, paying about $1.08 for the May $18 puts, and I'm collecting about 25 cents for the $16 puts. And this is an in the money put option. I'm specifically doing that to reduce the time decay of this particular trade going into the earnings announcement. And if I do see that move here to the downside, I'm seeing about a a slightly under two to one risk to reward ratio targeting the bottom end of that trading range that I saw here on Kinder Morgan. Mike, any reaction? So, uh, yeah, I have been bullish on energy for some time. Longtime viewers will know I've been a a longtime holder holder of Halliburton, and that, too, has seen quite a rally, and I haven't paired that back. It is interesting to note that actually this week we saw some of the bigger bearish trades on the space that I've seen in a while, including some big put activity in Halliburton. Now, I realize that an oil service company and a pipeline company are not exactly the same thing, but I found that interesting that it seems like some institutions – do at the very least seem to be interested in either pairing their positions or hedging against a potential downside move. Um, You know, I think this is what he's doing here with this particular trade makes a lot of sense because relative to where the stock was at the time, there was virtually no time decay in this trade at all. And of course, you do limit the upside risk in the event that you get the direction incorrect going into earnings. Carter, any thoughts on Tony's trade or on Kinder Morgan more broadly? Right. Well, more broadly, what we know is, of course, pipelines like this don't have the beta or torque that you'll get out of a commodity uh, related stock such as a driller or an E&P name. Uh, the dividend is twice that of the energy sector. But the main thing is, if you're looking at relative performance, which is a factor that in history is always efficacious, its relative performance is terrible. And Tony has made that clear. All right, we're going to take a quick break. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, why don't you sign up for our newsletter? Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, one retailer that seemingly has the secret to surviving dismal consumer spending. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Carter and Mike looked to get ahead of weakness in consumer spending using the XRT ETF. We have a break in trend and we have very poor relative performance to the S&P, to tech, to financials, to almost everything. Don't like it. 
want to be underweight, want to sell it short. I was looking out to March, essentially buying the at the money 87 strike, but selling the 77 strike put against it. When I was looking at that earlier today, that was going to cost a little over a quarter of the distance between the strikes. Now, we are seeing slightly elevated options premiums in a couple areas, and those who are paying attention to the market probably understand why that is. That short downside put is going to help offset the decay of the one that we own. It's also going to increase the break-even level. In other words, XRT is not going to need to fall quite as far before we start seeing profits at expiration. And since then, the trade has already made some profits as the XRT has uh, declined. But we still have a lot of time left before expiration. Mike, should we adjust this, let it stay as it is? What? Yeah, so, I mean, as of uh, the dead lows that we saw today, this thing had declined approximately 5% week on week. And this thing was about 50% in the money. In fact, if you had taken your 87 strike options and rolled them down to the 80s, uh, you could collect about uh, three and a half bucks for that. That's more than we spent for the initial trade originally. So you would have actually made some profits and you would still have exposure targeting the downside if it were to decline further. And it's hard for me to imagine, although you'll have to check with Carter on this, that he would believe that XRT actually is going to, you know, outperform his downside target net of what we saw this week. Carter, any reaction there? And then we'll get to your next find. Right. Well, it, it, the pressure is on and the, the macro mm -hmm. data came out this week, uh, sales very weak in aggregate, and then individual companies uh, saying very sort of unhappy things. Uh, I think the way forward is lower. Yeah. And a point you made uh, last half hour on fast money. Your next find, Carter, is within the consumer sector, actually bucking the trend. Uh, bonus, it's a name we've never covered before on options action. Don't know why that is, but take us through the, uh, the charts, Carter. Sure. So uh, Victoria's Secret, VSCO. Uh, and let's look at the charts. So we'll get right to it. Uh, they're all the same time frame. The first one, and this is important, it's showing the very bullish price volume correlation on the lower panel there. These heavy volume up thrusts, meaning that's what accumulation is, and the low volume reaction. It happens in November, happens in December. Now, if you keep that same construct, look at the second chart. Um, and you see that we're breaking above a downtrend line. Uh, that's been in effect since the new iteration. Remember, Victoria's Secret uh, used to exist, and this is a, a new class of stock. Now, look at another way to draw the lines, the third chart. Some people call these cups and handles. doesn't matter what you call it. It's what a reversal formation looks like, something hmm. that's bottoming. And the final chart puts all the lines together, actually the second to final chart. So we have a cup and handle bottom, a bearish to bullish reversal. We've broken above trend, and we have impressive bullish price volume correlation. Final chart. Now, this is really uh, very important. This is the relative strength of Victoria's Secret to the XRT. And what we know is that even as Victoria's Secret was making new lows uh, three weeks ago, its relative performance, you can see that, was already basing and bottoming. Uh, we think you can get 65 out of this, and the stock closed at 56.33. All right. Carter has laid out the charts. Mike, how do we trade it? Yeah, so Victoria's Secret, I mean, one of the reasons we haven't talked about Victoria's Secret specifically in the past is that it was part of a larger company. Mm -hmm. This was part of L Brands, uh, now um, uh, Bath and Body Works, um, you know, and we have essentially a recent IPO here. What's interesting about this, of course, is that this has been a very distressed uh, area, but the company is trying to transition to a more inclusive uh, model. I think that's uh, important. I think 
it's also important that it trades at a discount to its peers. And I'm talking about specialty retail when I'm talking about its peers. How much of a discount and how much of a discount to the market? Well, it's trading between seven and eight times 2023 estimated earnings. So it's it's pretty cheap to the market. And I think that essentially gives us a buffer to the downside. It is fair to say that mall-based retail is still challenging. But the thing is, they've been closing a lot of stores. I think they've closed 250 stores to date, wow. possibly have another 150 or so that they could sell of the 830 that I think they're still currently operating in North America. Of course, given the sector, given the market, it's unsurprising that these options are also fairly expensive. I was thinking one could use a call spread risk reversal here. Specifically, I was looking out to March the 50, 60, 65 call spread risk reversal. In this trade, you'd be buying the March 60 call, spending about $3.70, and then selling the 65 calls for $2.35 and the 50 strike puts for about $3.10. Net, net, you'd actually collect $1.75 in premium. Now, in the worst case, the stock would actually decline below that $50 strike price that you are short and you'd be forced to buy it there. Of course, you also collected the $1.75, so your effective purchase price is going to be $48.25. Now, also think about $1.75 uh, over the course of two months on $50 worth of risk, not a terrible return on a standstill basis. Of course, if it goes higher, you can collect the full distance between the 60 and 65 strikes. So $5, your total profit could ultimately be $6.75 if it rises to that $65 uh, strike price that Carter was targeting uh, over the next couple of months. All right, Tony, let's talk about You can either talk about uh, the trade that Mike just laid out or more broadly about Victoria's Secret. Yeah, so let's first talk about the trade itself. You know, a call spread risk reversal might sound a little intimidating for some viewers, but you really can think of this as two strategies put together, a short put and a call debit spread, both strategies that we talk about quite frequently here on the show. And by collecting uh, on this call spread risk reversal about $1.75, not only is this strategy going to be profitable even if Victoria's Secret declines, but you actually now have the option of potentially owning the stock at about $48.25, which if you go back to the valuation metrics that Mike was referring to, that's owning the stock at about seven times next year earnings. And I think that's a pretty comfortable uh, price to potentially own the stock if you do see this trade back near towards um, its relative peers multiples. And then at the same time, you have that call debit spread, which, which gives you that upside exposure that you typically don't receive if you just sell a short put. So it really marries these two strategies together and gives you kind of the best of both worlds to some degree. And then if we talk about Victoria's Secret, uh, ever since it spun off here from L Brands, it's certainly been on this transformation. And what we have seen here is on the chart itself, the chart doesn't look particularly interesting. It's been stuck between 48 and 58 since October. Um, but that stealth rotation, that Carter, that last chart he was showing you, that's the important part. Not only is Victoria's Secret out, outperforming the XRT, the retail ETF, it's also outperforming the broad consumer discretionary sector. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, that's really the key that I'm looking for that points us to Victoria's Secret breaking out higher here and perhaps trading at a more natural um, valuation for this type of company. All right, Tony. Up next, we will take your tweets, answer your questions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. And our first viewer asks, what are your thoughts on high-end retail like RH, Restoration Hardware, Farfetch, etc.? Carter, your thoughts. 
Well, these are these are very idiosyncratic. I mean, high-end retailing uh, things like Hermes um, and LVMH to some extent. I mean, you're talking about a a forty-one percent decline in on RH. Fetch is down sixty-five percent. I mean, at some point they're due for bounces, but buying things that are just plunging, I'd be inclined not to do that. Tony, uh, I certainly agree with that. That's about as simple an answer as you could ever ask for. Thank you, Tony. Our next viewer asks, I notice you folks seem to enter vertical spreads, credit or debit, with the short or long leg being at around the 0.50 delta. This doesn't seem to allow for a lot of room for error as to where to open the position. So how does one choose these entry points accurately? Tony, break it down for us. Yeah, I think this is a fantastic question because strike, strike selection is about choosing between probability and risk to reward. So when we backtest these types of strategies at options play, especially when we talk about credit spreads, the higher deltas do perform better. But just to break that down, when you're using a strike price with a higher delta on a credit spread, what you're going to have is a lower probability of success, but a very strong risk to reward ratio. And I think what you're alluding to is potentially lower using something with a lower delta. There's nothing wrong with that. You're going to have a higher probability of profit which a lot of investors tend to prefer, but you have to understand the trade-off is that is a, is a much worse risk-to-reward for that particular trade. Mike, it's a technical question. Take it apart for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would agree with, uh, with Tony on this one. I mean, the thing is that I often try to, when I'm looking at debit spreads, think about essentially the payoff. So we're often looking for payoffs of three to one or maybe a little bit better, meaning that you would spend about 25% of the distance between the strikes. However, when I'm looking at credit spreads, that situation can seem somewhat less attractive. That would mean that you would actually want to increase the delta of the option that you're selling, essentially to get more of the total possible premium between the strikes. So, you know, this is the kind of trade-off that you're dealing with. But if you're going to sell credit right. spreads against, for example, a long position, then the lower delta is definitely we the way to go. We had one more question, but reading the question alone would have taken us to 7.30. Let's go to our final calls. Carter, you first. Well, Victoria's Secret. I think it's a great place to be. All right. That sounds good. Tony, you. Kinder Morgan earnings by a put vertical spread. All right. And Mike. Yeah, you know, when you take a look at Victoria's Secret, the high options premiums combined with the low valuation, I think a call spread risk reversal is the right way to play Carter's bullish thesis. Got to leave it right there. That does it uh, for us here on Options Action. See you next Friday. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money, special edition, right now. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 930 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.